0: Every day, every day, every day, I will spend time with God. I will pray. I will pray. Pray, pray. I will pray. I will be holy. I will be holy, holy, holy. I will be. I will be holy. I will fulfill God's purpose for me and my generation. My generation. My generation. I will fulfill God's purpose. God's purpose for my generation. For me and my generation. My generation. I will live the vow. Well, hey, we are in a series. If you didn't know about prayer. And so I'm going to continue talking about prayer tonight. We're going to talk about uh, having authority in prayer. And as we go through this year together, we're going to spend a lot of time in prayer meetings, in prayer groups, in prayer by yourself. There's going to be a lot of time that you're going to spend uh, for the next year in prayer. And so that's why I to, that's a big element of what we are here. And so we wanted to start right off from the beginning to, to get you an understanding why we do that. And so I want to talk tonight specifically about prayer and, and praying in, in, in God's will. And I, I don't know how many, I mean, you, all of you have probably been to about three prayer meetings now. Because uh, we've been doing this for about a week. Unless you're Jonathan Miller and then you've been to every prayer meeting running sound. Uh, but, you know, most of you, you've been to three prayer meetings. And I don't know how many of you guys have heard this, but one of the common phrases that I hear whenever I go to a prayer meeting is that the prayer leader likes to open it up and, and they either tell you or they tell God, but in some way they say, you know, is, th- there's nowhere else we'd rather be tonight. This, the, the, the idea, you know, oh, God, this is the, this is the place we want to be worshiping and praying. Or, they, or maybe they'll tell you, man, everybody, I'm so excited tonight. There's nothing else that we'd rather be doing. This is the most exciting thing on the face of the planet to come and pray together. And I think it's some phrases that we use and some ideas that we say. But I don't know that it's always true of our heart reality that this that we think of the prayer meeting as the most exciting thing that we can be doing and here's why i say that because i know that we say that yeah this is the most exciting place to be all right come jesus worship band starts playing we start singing songs and and pretty soon we're about in one and a half songs and we start pulling out you know we look at our cell phone and we you know you check your facebook or you look at you know you, you you get distracted by the things and we say this is super exciting, super great place to be, but we're texting our friend about what we're doing afterwards. We're trying to make plans for what to do tomorrow. We're, we're checking the scores of the game. I'm te- these are self-sins. I'm just telling you. I'm not, I'm not blaming you. I'm just I'm speaking from experience here. We say that it's super exciting, but I don't know that we always live that with our actions. But here's kind of what, what I'm afraid of. As we talk about prayer tonight, as we are in prayer for this next nine months together, um, I'm I'm a little afraid that some of you are going to leave here wanting to pray more. I'm a little afraid that you're going to leave this place with the idea that if you can just pray more, that that's what is going to make you a good person, or that's what's going to put you in right standing with God. Friends, I don't think it's about praying more. I don't want us to be people that have a conviction about praying more. I went to, uh, we, we, we got, we every year take a trip uh, to do missions, usually overseas with the furnace. And uh, so I've gotten the opportunity to go to some fun places. And uh, it's one of my fun, favorite things that we do. Actually, in a couple of weeks, uh, we'll be letting you know uh, what our plan is for missions this year. And we've, I've been in meetings this week talking about it, and I'm really excited about it. But I just want a couple stories from, from our, 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 our global ministry trips or our missions trips. Uh, we got to go to Israel a couple years ago. Anybody on that trip? Anybody go to Israel? None of you? Okay, great. Uh, and we got to go to Israel, and, and it, was a, it, was, it was awesome. We showed up. Uh, we had about 40 of us going, and we show up at the airport. We, we're, you know, you get ready. How many of you guys have just been on any overseas trip at all? Okay, some more of you, you know like how you 've got to go through all the night before you 're packing I mean it, responsible people do it earlier, but Austin packs the night before and uh you know, so you're packing your bag the night before, and you got that huge backpack that uh, you don't know, like, because you can't take a suitcase, you have to take a backpack for some reason. And uh, so all your clothes, because it's really important on missions that your clothes are wrinkled. That's what the, that's what the goal is. Uh, and so so you, you load up your backpack, and you have all your, like, toiletries and a Ziploc bag, and you all that stuff, you know. And, and you get there, and, and, and you get to the airport, you get... <laughs> You get to the airport at, you know, it's like you get there at like 3 a.m. And we, because you got to get there early because it's an it's a overseas trip. And so you got to get, there. it's like normally you're supposed to be there an hour and 15, hour and a half early. These days uh, used to be, you know, 30 minutes in Oklahoma City. You were fine, but that's all right. You know, so but, but if you're going overseas, you got to be there like really early. And usually your flight is early, so usually you have to get there like 4 o'clock in the morning, which means you don't sleep the night before, because who would sleep? That doesn't make any sense. You might as well pack late and then go straight to the airport. And you get to the airport. This happened to us. We were going uh, on, I don't remember, I I think this was, I don't know, we got to the airport before any of the airport employees got there. And, uh, And we sat in the airport on the floor for hours waiting for the employees to get there. And we looked and said, why did we get here? So I could have been sleeping in a bed instead of on tile. But so anyway, we went to Israel and we got to the airport. We did the whole rigmarole and uh, we get there and we check in. And, you know, we got about 40, 45 people and they they look at us and they say, hey, uh, good news, we did get your reservation. Bad news, we forgot to give you seats. So there we are, stuck at DIA, ready to travel the world and we're stuck 45 minutes away from home. And we spend the whole day in Denver at the airport waiting to get on a flight, and they they got us going all over the place trying to connect here and go here, and, uh, and so I'm on a team that we finally get on flight, and we have a connection in New York City, and uh, so we load on this train or on the train the, on the plane, and, uh, and yeah, anyway, so we get on the plane, and uh, there's probably there's probably 20 of us or maybe maybe 25 of us. Uh, and so we fly to New York City, and 12 of us actually get to jump on from New York City, and we get to go immediately to another flight, uh, while the others have to spend the night in, in New York City. And so we get to get, get there earlier, and so we called ourselves the Chosen. You know, we were excited, the 12, you know, we were the, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we, uh, we went there, and, and so we were geared up, and I was like, I was like all right, team, we're going to get there, and, and when we get off this plane, we have to run our faces off. Because they are holding the plane for us. There are angry Israeli people on that plane that are wanting to get home and they are holding the plane for us. So we have to run. And so, I mean, I am picturing this in my mind as we're gonna have 12 people just booking it through the airport, just a big mob of people. And so we finally land and, and I'm like, all right. They, they let us off first. They're like, with the 12 please come? And, uh, and we said, yes. And so we get off the plane and I'm like, all right, everybody, let's go! And we run, and the plane was the next one, gate, right, right next to us. And so we ran really hard for about ten steps, and uh, and then we got on the plane, and just the glares from everybody. You know, they they've been waiting to take off, and then a bunch. And, and and you know that when you're waiting on a plane, you're not super happy, but when you're waiting and a Group of punk kids gets on, and that's who you've been waiting for. And you know that you have eight to ten hours on a plane with this group of twelve people from Colorado that are going to bug you. They weren't too happy with us. I mean, they didn't know how sweet we were, obviously. So we get on our flight, and uh, and we make it, and we land in Tel Aviv, and uh, and they take us to uh, to the place we're staying. We're staying at a church. And fortunately, because it was, it was nighttime, and you know, like when you do the travel, you never, I, it, I hate it for us if we land at 5 a.m., you know. But fortunately, we landed, and it was night, and so we got to go, and, and we were beat. We were ready to go to sleep, and so we, we, all, we, we all went to bed, and we're ready for a good night's sleep, and we slept hard, and, uh, and it, was, it was great until 5 a.m., and at 5 a.m., it was the most startling I I just, I sat up in bed, and I woke up to, (laughs) now let me tell you, when you are in another country, and you don't know anybody, you do not want to be startled awake by an alarm. That's not what is like, it's not like, oh, ah, wonderful, there's an alarm going off. No, we woke up at 5 a.m. to this horrendous noise, that we would come to get used to, because it happened five times a day. It was their call to prayer. First one was at 5 a.m. The guys woke up. We freaked out for a second, realized what it was, went back to bed. The girls got up, freaked out for a second, had a prayer meeting for four hours. <laughs> we got up at 9. We're like, hey, what are you guys doing? Did you sleep good? We've been praying since 5. What have you been doing? Yeah, in the guys' room, whew, it was a massive prayer meeting. And uh, it, was, it was a call to prayer. Every day while we were there, five times a day, called a prayer. We got to go to China. I know some of you guys were on the China trip we went to a couple, uh, two years ago, three years ago, I don't know, a while ago. And uh, it, was back, it was back in the day. It was a Thursday. And uh, we went to China. And we, uh, we actually had a team that got to go to, uh, they spent some time in Tibet. And uh, they do this thing, um, when they pray, they do prostrations where they, they're standing up. And then they, go to the, they drop to their knees, and then they la- lay flat on the ground. And, and it's a form of prayer. And some of the, uh, to some, it's a form of prayer to their gods. And, and some of the areas are, are kind of considered holy places. And so in, in one particular spot, it was, it was such a holy place. There had been so many people coming and praying that, the, that the, the rock was as smooth as glass from the people that have done these prostrations for, for years and years, thousands of years. We got to go to the middle of, uh, I don't know, Matt and I were up in the middle of the mountains in China. I don't know where. It doesn't really matter. It was a little village. And uh, they, had, they had prayer flags. They do all sorts of interesting things there for prayer. Like you don't just have to say prayer. You can have a flag for prayer. You can have a wheel for prayer. You can, uh, and so they have all different kinds of prayer. And so there's all these prayer flags. And uh, there was one section uh, that was on a mountain. It was a holy mountain. And it was right above the village that we were staying in. And it had prayer flags all over it. I mean, these prayer flags were like they were like streamers all over the mountain. Actually, I mean, we were probably in the same vicinity as we are to the Rockies right here. That was where we were to the mountains, and uh, and this mountain, it was this prayer mountain. And I kid you not, it looked like it was covered in silly string. I mean, it looked like some kids came out in the middle of the night and just silly stringed a whole mountain. I'm not even joking. And and, and we actually got the opportunity to go and uh, to hike it. And well, hike around it because to hike it would probably been disrespectful to the peeps. Uh, I don't care about their gods, but the people. Uh, So we hiked around it. We got to the top and we actually got to have a prayer meeting up at the top of it. And it really was just flags and streamers and ribbon all over the place. See, friends, the reason that I say that tonight and this year, my goal isn't for you to become a person that prays more. It's because everybody prays. The world prays. Muslims pray. Buddhists pray. Hindus pray. Everybody prays. Put in a, in a tight enough spot, atheists pray. I mean, anybody, everybody prays. See, praying is not the end. That's not our goal. Our goal isn't that you become a person that is convinced that you need to pray more. Because ultimately, if you're just convinced that you need to pray more, then all you're doing is you're efforting becoming a person that's religious. There's plenty of people that pray. Here's what my hope for you is not that you set the goal to pray more, but that you set out to be a person that connects with the living God through prayer. See, it's not about saying words, it's not about doing actions. It's about connecting with a God that is alive and active today. That's what we want to be. We're not people that are committed to prayer. We're committed to connecting with God. And the way that we do that is prayer. Prayer is the natural byproduct. I'm not, con- I'm not committed to talking to Amy, my wife. I talk to her because she is my wife. So I'm not like, I don't wake up and I'm like, man i got to gotta talk to her at least five times today. No! No, we're together all the time. We talk to each other. That's what happens. We have communication. I don't want you to be committed to talking to God. I want you to be someone who has communion with God, who connects with the living God. Go ahead and open up our, our, our scripture I'm going to talk from tonight, 1 Kings 18. Going all Old Testament on you. 1 Kings 18, let's start in verse 16. This is about Elijah, and uh, this is the 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 showdown at Mar- Mount Carmel. That's what I would put if I was the person making up the titles for chapters. This like says, Elijah on Mount Carmel. I'd say the showdown on Mount Carmel. You know, because that's what it, you know, I know there was like music and, was, you know, it was all that. It was like, there was, anyway. And uh, so here's what happened. I'm going to start at verse 16. So Obadiah went to Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to them, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Okay, Ahab is the king of Israel. Uh, Ahab is actually the king of Israel that it said that God was most displeased of all the kings So that means God didn't like Ahab very much and Ahab comes and he sees Elijah and he says is that you you troubler of Israel Let me tell you why Ahab views Uh, Elijah as the troubler of Israel because roughly three and a half years earlier Elijah came to Ahab and said hey, God doesn't like you very much It's not gonna rain again until I until I say the word he says, hey, by the way, buddy, uh, we're going to have a, see, like, we like to talk about our droughts here in Colorado, you know, when we're all afraid of our grass being brown and our whitewater rafting being low. But it didn't rain for three and a half years. And, uh, and it was Elijah's fault. I mean, he said, he said, hey, King Ahab, uh, just so you know, God told me it's not going to rain again until I give the word. So sorry. So Ahab sees him and he's like, oh, is that you, you troubler of the land? I mean, he was like, Ahab didn't really like him he liked drinking water, and so he didn't like Elijah. Verse 18, Elijah says, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent the word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets of on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. So the setting is Elijah is here, and, and so for, for the Israelites were, were people that uh, they, they waffled back and forth. And uh, at this time, they were trying to serve two gods. They were, they, they, they were very much a synchronistic society in terms of that it was very easy for the Israelites to accept other religions and just try to bring that into their religion. And so for years, they had been trying to serve both God and Baal. Baal was the god specifically of this land, and uh, he was known as the god of the weather, uh, which is interesting as we read here, uh, the god of the weather. And so, uh, basically, Elijah comes before Ahab, and he's like, okay, here you go, brother. Here, no, he probably didn't call him brother. Uh, he said, okay, man, here's what you do. I want you to get 900 prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of the other dude, and, uh, and bring them up to Mount Carmel, and we're going to have the showdown on Mount Carmel. And, uh, and so they come up there, and, uh, and so then Elijah looks at the people, and he says, how long will you serve two gods? If God is God, then serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. I love that. I, I love his take here because he's not, he's not trying to like, oh, try to convince the people why you need to serve God. He's just saying, hey, make up your mind. You, you know, it's, you're either with us or you're against us. You know, if God is God, serve him. If Baal, then serve him. But typically the people said nothing. I added the typically. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. I really like Elijah, by the way. As we go through the story, uh, I really relate to this man. And uh, I don't know if he was the only one of the Lord's prophets. He, he seems to have a, uh, uh, he, he likes the dramatic. And, uh, and so he's like, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. And, uh, but Baal has 450 prophets. And so then he kind of lays the ground rules for the showdown, okay? He says, get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood. But not set it to fire. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set it to fire. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. So he basically lays the ground rules, and so he says, okay, everybody— 450 of them, one of me, I'm the only one left. We got two altars. Here's what I want you to do. Bring two bulls. I'll let them pick which bull they want to do. They're going to cut it up and they're going to call out to their God and ask for fire to come down. But I, I won't do anything. And then when it's my turn, I'll cut up my bull and I'll ask for fire. And the God that answers, that's the real God. And so it's kind of this, this, this test between gods. It's not really between Elijah and and the, and the prophets. It's really between God and Baal. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, this is where I start to like Elijah. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. Actually, some scholars say that if you take the Hebrew here, if you take it to its most coarse uh, interpretation, which why wouldn't we hear? uh, He he says, Elijah says, hey, Maybe your God, this, this, maybe he's sleeping and needs to be awakened. Maybe he's taking a break. Or maybe, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's in the bathroom. I mean, he's taunting them. And he's talking trash to them. They're all singing and dancing. Elijah's sitting over there. You know, <sighs> hey, dude, louder. I bet you he's in the bathroom. You know, he's probably sleeping. It's, it's no big deal. Wake him up. You know, it'll be fun. I'm sure he's, he's taunting them. He's joking. He's making jokes towards them. I love that. He began to taunt them. Shout louder. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder. I love that too because they actually took his advice. They're like, they're like, dude, you're right. Maybe he, uh, you know, they're like, come on. So they shouted louder. I don't know if that was because they took his advice or because they're angry. Then they started to slash themselves with swords and spears, as, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophecy until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. I think it's a very interesting story. As, ba- as, as these prophets are up there, and they're screaming and shouting and doing everything that they can. I mean, they're dancing they're yelling, they're cutting themselves. They're, they're obviously stabbing themselves because it says that their blood flowed. And they did everything that they knew that they could and got no response. I think, to be, if I'm honest with you, I, I think that that's where uh, even amongst Christians we feel sometimes. Is we feel like I've done everything that I'm supposed to and I don't feel like I've gotten any response. I mean, I don't know how many of you guys have ever felt that. I don't know how many of you have ever felt like, man, I've prayed and prayed and prayed, and I've got nothing. I've got no response. And obviously here, these guys crying out to Baal, they get no response. But I think even us sometimes as Christians crying out to our God, we, we don't know why. Why do I get no response? I want to talk tonight about the importance of us praying. Not always out of selfish motive, but praying that his kingdom come and his will be done. In James 4, verse 2, uh, 2 and 3, it says, you do not have because you do not ask. We love that verse. You have not because you ask not. Just ask, brother, and you'll get everything you ever wanted. We love it. You have not because you ask not. But then it keeps going. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get in your own pleasures. What your motive is in prayer matters. The reason you ask for things matters. You have not, you don't have things because you don't ask for them. And when you do ask for them, do you know what this verse is saying? It's saying that some prayers go unanswered. Whoa, whoa, whoa that's, I don't know about that. I mean, I don't like that. No, it's saying that sometimes you don't get what you ask for because you're asking for it with selfish motives. That's hard because I would venture to guess that most of the time, a lot of our prayers are rooted in selfish motives. Oh God, help me on this test. I didn't study and I need you to just give me the answers. You know everything, you can do anything. God, help. I mean, you know we've all prayed those prayers. Oh God, please don't let him give me a ticket. I know that I was speeding and ran that red light and hit the dog. But have mercy and grace, God, please. We, we all pray those prayers. In the moment, we're, we're, I mean, selfish prayers are pretty common. And then we're like, we get the ticket and we're like, Jesus, you said that I don't have it because I don't ask for it. And I asked and I still got the ticket. Sometimes we pray and we don't see God answer our prayers. And it's frustrating. I will bet you that the... the prophets of Baal were pretty frustrated as they danced. I mean, this is like the big showdown. This is the Super Bowl of gods. You know, this is like, who's going to win? Who's going to be the best? Uh, You know, bragging rights goes to the winner and they are praying for hours. They prayed from 9 a.m. until noon. Then they went a little past when they were supposed to stop. They went into overtime because they were like, come on. It didn't happen. I mean, I can only imagine, I don't know this, but I can only imagine. First off, this is a gross scene. I mean, don't you think, there's people watching this, like this is their entertainment for the day. And like, first off, you cut up a bull. That's just not nice. It's pretty gross in and of itself. But then you got 350 prophets dancing around for three hours. They're sweaty. They're nasty. They don't smell good. They don't have showers. You know, they don't have, they don't have a halftime where they go get cleaned up a little bit. Then they start cutting themselves. This is gross. I don't know why I'm going into how gross this is, but it's really a gross moment here. And they are doing everything. And, and, and by all possible reasons, they deserve their God to answer their prayer. They deserve it. But he doesn't. And then, it gets to be Elijah's turn. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him, and he and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins, which means it hadn't been being used. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes and descendants from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. So, here's, again, Elijah doing this. And he's like, okay, now, suckers, it's my turn. You know, and so he's like, let's repair the altar. And uh, I put the bull on there. And hey, just for fun, let's dump four buckets of water on it. We're asking for fire to come down. Let's make the the, 350 of you, verse 1, not really a big enough challenge for my God. Let's put some water on it. God likes a good challenge. Dump some four buckets of water on it, and then they dump water on it. He's like, yeah, that's not really enough. Let's do it again. Let's do it twice. Twice they dump four, bu- four jars of water. After that, the third time, oh man, I'm just not satisfied that that's hard enough. Let's dump four jars again. Do it again. Let's really, really lavish it on there. Let's dump some water. Fill it up. Let's make a little moat around this thing here. Just fill it up. I mean, I want you to, this is, how insulting is this? The people are in a drought because this guy won't ask for rain and he's wasting water. They're like, what is that Elijah doing? I haven't drank anything all day. I lick my sweat. I'm so, I'm so thirsty and he is wasting my water. He probably went down to my village and took that out of the back of the back of my house. How did he get so much water? I mean, they had to be so angry with him. I mean, salivating, you know, they're like, I want water. I want water. And he's like, dump it. Do it again. Three times. I mean, they had to be so angry. I mean, it was like, seriously, it says it filled up the the trench he dug around it. It was like, it was now a moat. I mean, they probably had a drawbridge. I mean, you know, like, you know, I mean, that's what it was. So they dumped water a third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil, and it licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. He is Lord. He is God. I love this story. Because Elijah here, there's a few key elements. These prophets of Baal, they started at nine o'clock in the morning. They took up all of their time. Elijah's prayer was two sentences. He didn't need to go long It wasn't like he was like, okay, now's my time and I got to keep praying and asking. It wasn't like getting down to the last second and he was like, God, I really need you to come through for me here because I'm not looking very good at this moment. And then at the last moment, God came and sent fire. Which even if that did happen that way, it's still a good story. But these guys, the people stood there and they watched for hours as these guys danced, prayed, screamed, sang, cut themselves, and nothing happened. The God of the weather could not send fire. And then Elijah mocks them, dumps water just to make it harder on on God, just to make it a little bit less even. And then he says, hey, God, remember me. I've done everything you've said. Send your fire. And it licked up the water. And it consumed everything it touched. I love that story because here's why. That is a powerful prayer. Do you know what makes it a powerful prayer? I have done all these things at your command. See, Elijah wasn't just some rogue prophet of God who thought he would come up with a good way of trying to, get, to prove God existed. Jesus had people that wanted, them to, or wanted him to prove he was God. And they asked for miracles and they asked for things. And he said, you wicked and adulterous generation. You ask for signs and wonders and you'll get none. Elijah wasn't here and he he wasn't like sitting under his fig tree one day and said, hmm, how could I prove that God exists? If only there was some kind of way, oh, we'll have a showdown on Mount Carmel. And that's how it'll happen. If that's what happened, then Elijah would have said, God, remember me? Send fire. And God would have said, nah, I'm good. I don't need your ways. I need my ways. But that's not how it happened. This big extravagant thing, this wasn't conjured up in Elijah's mind. This is what God told him to do, and he was simply obedient. Friends, the reason that you and I have the, pr- the, the, the distinct privilege of prayer is not that we are people that pray a lot. The privilege of prayer is that we have a God that is alive and that speaks to us And we get to do what he says. He is alive and active and he speaks. And then we obey. Jesus in John 10 says that my sheep hear my voice and they do what I say. We're the kind of people that believe that God speaks. We're the kind of people that believe that God is still active. And there are some people, even even believers. There's Christians out there. There's Christian theologians that will try to say that, that God doesn't speak to you and to me personally. The problem is is that Jesus said he does, and I believe him. He said, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice and follow me. Do you want to know the evidence that you're a man or a woman of prayer? The evidence that you are a man or a woman of prayer is that when you hear God's voice, you do what he says. That's the evidence. Because prayer is not a one-way street. It's not just us offering up what we want to God. Prayer also it is conversation. And when God speaks to you, you do what he says. And that's what Elijah did here. God spoke to him. And he did everything that God said. And then he said, "Okay, God. Your will be done." And the fire fell. God speaks we obey. I think God speaks to each one of us. Um, it's our response. It's, our, it's, our, it's up to us how we respond to that. Psalm 95 says, do not hear the voice of the Lord and harden your heart. I think oftentimes when God speaks to us, a lot of us maybe feel like God doesn't speak to me. Well, I think good question is, last time he did, did you do what he said? Because The truth of it, Hebrews talks about this too. If God speaks to you and you don't do what he says, then slowly over time, your heart gets hardened to hearing his voice. And the more you don't do what he says, then the less likely it is, I think, that he's going to speak to you. He wants people that hear him and obey. My sheep hear me and do what I say. When I was in high school, I went to a, a conference, and we had a ministry time. And, uh, I was praying over some guy and I just felt like something. I felt something. And so I just looked at him and I was like, hey, man, was, I'm praying for you. And, and I just feel like, and I told him what I felt. And I just asked him, I was like, hey, does that resonate with you? Is that, is that true? And he looked, looked at me, he looked me in the eye. No. That was not what I was expecting. In this moment, I was like, okay, God, I feel like you're telling me something. And so I'm going to speak to him and I'm going to tell him. He was like, I'm sorry, dude. I'm not saying that every time we think we hear God, that we hear God. What I am saying is that God speaks and we need to be the kind of people that grow accustomed and learn how to hear him. We do that by spending time with him, by, by reading his word, by, by asking him, God, what does your voice sound like? I was a punk kid that wanted to be a prophet. I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, did God do this? Nope. Oh, I walked away with my tail between my legs, you know? I was like, man, I look like it god speaks i know he does probably most of you have experienced god speaking last year desperation we were having a time of worship and i was down front with john and we were talking and it, it was there was a time of prayer and a kid came up to us and he said hey there's a girl at my school who's not saved and uh she went into a coma today, and I just feel like maybe—I I feel like God wants to wake her up, and—but, uh, so can we—can we pray with me for her? And uh, John looked at him, and he was like—basically said no. He looked at me, he was like, dude, what are you doing? Go to the hospital. Pray for her. If you have faith for this, go. Pray. So the kid was like, okay, I will. So he got a couple of his friends, and they went to the hospital, and uh, this girl wasn't saved. Her mom was there. She wasn't saved. And they began praying for her. And I'm sure that, that, that's, a, that, that's kind of, I don't know how the mom felt. As someone who doesn't believe in the Lord, uh, and these four or five high school kids come in praying, there's, there's already that like, pain that my daughter's in a coma. And now, now there's like, that little hope, but I don't believe in it. And it seems like this, is, you know, this isn't really real. I don't know everything she felt, but they prayed for this girl for a couple hours. And, uh, and nothing happened. Nothing changed. She was still in a coma, and the doctor said that there really wasn't hope for her to come out of it. Um, just everything that had happened, that she was, that, that likely she was going to stay this way. And uh, so they prayed for her. They prayed with faith. They believed. And they felt, this kid said, I mean, he felt like God told him to go pray for her. And, uh, and so they, they went on the voice of the Lord and said, God, I'm going to do what you told me to do. They prayed for a couple hours. Nothing happened. <laughs> I, uh, he looked at the mom, and he told me that this happened, and part of me hopes it didn't, but I'm sure it did. Uh, he looked at the mom and said, well, we're, we're done praying. Uh, it's because you don't believe that your daughter's still asleep or still in a coma. And, uh, and they left the hospital room. And I don't know what took place from the time they left that hospital room to the time that they got to the exit of the hospital. All I know is that night when I was at, after the conference, we were, we were closing up, and this kid runs into me, excitement in his eyes and he grabs me and he tells me the story and he said we left the room but before we reached the downstairs they ran after us they grabbed us and they said she woke up it happened she's a she's alive she's awake man i'll tell you so much faith grew in me when this kid told me that story it's just a, just a kid high school kid believed that god would do what he said he would do he went took his friends they prayed the girl woke up in his move on planet Earth. We get to partner. That is what is so exciting about prayer. That is why I do think it is the most exciting thing that we can be doing. Because we're partnering with the living God and what he is doing on planet Earth. First John 5, 14 through 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If we ask anything in accordance to to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know we have it. Friends, I want us to be the kind of people that go find out what God's will is. We want to be the kind of people that go, look, God, what are you wanting to do? God, what are you doing? We want to be a part of that. Jesus taught us to pray. He said, pray for God's will to come. When Jesus said, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, what that means is that God has a will. Would you agree with that? God, there are things that God wants to get done. But here's the thing. You have a will. I have a will. Every person, we all have a will. And God will not force himself. God will only act in accordance to what we ask. It's when we ask and when our will aligns with his will, that is when he moved. Because God is not going to force himself on planet Earth. That's not the God we serve. We want him to. Man, we want him to. We want, I mean, there's so many times that we like, we want him to just, God, just do whatever you want. And we just kind of throw up the big prayer, God, do whatever, you know. It would be a whole lot easier if he would just do stuff. But he set it up in such a way that he said, they have a will. And I don't want to force myself. So here's what I'm going to do. When, we, when, they, when my will and their will are in alignment, I can do everything. I will move on planet earth. When they cry out to me, when they are in partnership with me, friends, we have the opportunity to find out God's will. Ask him to do it, and he will move. God has a will. God wants to do things. But he's not going to force himself. He's not going to, he's not going to, he's not going to overtake what people want. He's going to partner with mankind. It's the way he set it up. John Wesley said that God does nothing but an answer to prayer. God does nothing but an answer to prayer. Charles Spurgeon says this, whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. If you may have everything by asking in his name and nothing without asking, I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is. Asking is the way of the kingdom. God wants you to ask. He wants us to ask. And there, God wants to pour out his spirit on mankind, but he wants to partner with us in doing it. He will not. He will, uh, he, he, He's not going. It's not who he is. He's not going to force someone. But man... When our will, when we say, God, not our will, but yours be done. And we say, God, I want my heart to beat with yours. And, and see, we say, a lot of times we say, oh, but doesn't God want to give us the desires of our hearts? Isn't that, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and he will give you the desires of your heart? Isn't that how that goes? It's not. Matthew six thirty three says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. All the things you need, food, clothing, they'll all be added to you. If you seek first his kingdom, Psalm 37, four says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. Seek first his kingdom. Friends, if we're really delighting in God, if we're really seeking first his kingdom, then the, the things that get us excited, the desires of our hearts aren't for the new car. The desire of our heart is for kingdom purposes. Does that make sense? If you delight yourself in the Lord, then your delight will be in His movement on planet Earth. Therefore, the things that you ask for will be His movement. Therefore, He's going to pour out Himself on planet Earth, and then you will get the things you desire. Does that make sense? And this is why I'm saying this, because I think that the motivation for prayer is so important for every person. If you come to these prayer meetings, and your motivation for prayer is duty, it's no good. I don't want your motivation to be duty. The motivation is A, relationship with a living God that speaks to us. And B, we want his kingdom to come, his will to be done. And the way that that happens is because God does nothing but an answer to prayer. So we're going to ask and expect him. We're going to ask that he move and we're going to expect that it happens. We're going to ask for healings and expect that it's going to actually take place man, there's, there should be an excitement in this room when we come together to pray because we have the opportunity to partner with God. I mean, the privilege of prayer, it, it is beyond understandable. Why he set it up this way, I don't know. But the fact that God wants your partnership to move, oh, how he loves us. He says, listen, I don't want to just have a bunch of, you know, video game players that I push buttons and they do what I say. I want people to turn to me, to love me, to have relationship with me, ask me, and I'll give you the nations. See, friends, what I'm saying tonight is that this idea of prayer is way bigger than it's way more important when that's what Charles Spurgeon said, I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is. The church on planet Earth, you and I, one of our primary roles, if not the primary role, is for us to release God's will on this planet. I want you to imagine that God is kind of like the, the, a reservoir of water. And, and our role All all that our role is, is to turn the knob on the faucet so that it can come out. But we have to do that because he's not going to just do it. All we got to do, it's super, I mean, Elijah prayed two sentences. But he prayed it, God, as you have commanded me, therefore. So I want to encourage you this week, this year, Seek God's will. Ask him, God, what do you want in this circumstance in my life? And I'm not trying to tell you that you can't can't ask for things that are going to benefit you. I think God wants to bless you, just so you know. I think God wants to lavish his love on you. It's one of my favorite verses. He wants to. I think God wants you to not get a ticket sometimes. Maybe not. But start asking him. Start being in communication with him. And I think it starts, I mean, I'm not saying that you should not, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want to handcuff you and say, I'm not going to pray unless I know it's God's will. No, 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 that's, that is taking this, the wrong direction. The more you pray, the better you'll be able to hear God's voice. And the more you'll be able to partner with Him. So don't stop because of this. Rather say, God, you've invited me. You've set up this system that I get to partner with you. So I'm going to come before you, and I'm going to ask as much as possible, and I'm going to pray big prayers. Watch me knees. As the, uh, the problem with the church today is that we ask too small of prayers. Let's ask big things. Let's ask for God to do. God wants to do big things on planet Earth, but are we asking for them, or are we stuck in the small things, asking for just the God help me time? Don't be shackled by this. I think, just so you know, I mean, this is one of the great reasons why uh, it's our conviction that we're going to pray the Bible. Because, uh, listen, I want to pray the things that God wants to do. If He's already said it, then I know He wants to do it. That's why we do that. Because we want to pray the will of God. I think prayer is the most exciting thing because we get the opportunity to release the valve. We get to let the faucet open the faucets, And hopefully someday... Becomes a fire hydrant and a flood. There's no lacking in what God wants to do. Unfortunately, I think sometimes we don't know the authority that we have in partnering with him to actually do it. We serve a God that is alive and active and wants to move. One of my favorite moments when we were in China, uh, we were at this... Uh, Monastery, and it was kind of a training monastery where they had uh, I mean, I guess three or four hundred nine year olds and eight year old little monks in their orange suits and shaved heads practicing their everything they do. And we had about we had a group of about 12 15 of us, and we were prayer walking the the monastery. So we stand out already because we're a bunch of Americans and they don't know how we got there. I mean, it's not like they see a lot of white people every day, and uh. And so we were trying to be smooth. You know, I was coaching the team. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Like, we don't need to be trying to go cast out demons of everything. And, you know, like, we don't want to be screaming at people. And we, we need to be kind of, you know, undercover here a little bit. You know, be, be, be covert in your actions. And let's just prayer walk this place. and Let's just claim this for, for Jesus. And we had a translator. And uh, we called him Monkey uh, because he was a former Buddhist monk. That got saved. And now he was our translator for these missions trips, and he would go, and he would help us translate the gospel. And so we called him Monkey, because he was a monk, and now he's not. And uh, so we're prayer walking, and I walk into this room, and uh, I'm proud of our people. They're real quiet in their little corners, and there's this massive prayer wheel, and uh, I don't really know how to explain it I mean it's this is this, this huge cylinder um, probably 25 feet high, and it's kind of the same thing They they push it in a circle it's and uh and, and by pushing it it's a prayer and uh somehow that works I don't know how it works, but it, that's what they do and uh, so we're trying to be really really covered I'm, I'm really like i don't want to I don't want to push the wheel because I don't want to participate and I don't want them to think like we're approving it and I look and monkey runs in and he's Spins that wheel as fast as he can. He starts banging on it. Hello? Is anybody in there? I don't think so. (laughs) Oh. That was a man that had tapped into the reality that he served a living God. And he had been set free from the bondage of false gods. That was one of my favorite moments. I'll never forget it. And there's, I was tempted to be like, shh. And I'm like, oh, no, he can do that. He's, you know, he's one of them. (laughs) He's not, he's not white. He's fine. Is anybody in there? I don't think so. Friends, we get to connect with a living God. He is alive. And that is what makes prayer so powerful. It is not our due diligence. It is not that we just are committed to it. I think think there is a time for that. I think that the discipline of coming before God in prayer is real. But that's not ultimately the goal. The goal is to connect with God through our prayers and see Him move in lives of people on this planet. And He has offered to you the invitation to partake in what He wants to do. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at DesperationOnline.com.